0: The Pixar movie, Soul, uses a godless philosophy to chase the spark of living from before birth through death and onto the path to the great beyond. Are you just watching? Episode 112, Soul. Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin.
1: I'm Tim Merton.
0: And we decided to open up the year with a, a very metaphysical <laughs> a hmm. discussion of life, death, and where souls come from, and where souls go, and all from a rather humanistic philosophy. Very. Yeah.
1: Par for the course for Disney offerings recently, though. Yeah. Still, they know how to entertain. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Pixar films usually are pretty entertaining, but they aren't always what I would consider good fodder for children to watch. Yeah. As entertaining as they are, unfortunately. We had two options for this month. We thought about doing Wonder Woman 1984, but it turned out to not get the best reviews, and people were kind of ho-hum about it, so... Whether or not we ever do it, I don't know. I may still watch it again and take some notes just just
1: because. Maybe it, just as a DVD release. Oh, wait. Do they even do that anymore? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember yeah, the last time a studio made a big deal about a DVD release.
0: Yeah. They just kind of like slump it in there at some point, somewhere yeah, along the way. It
1: slides into the streaming services, but that actually <laughs> isn't even applicable with uh, Wonder Woman.
0: Well, it started out both in the theater and in the streaming services, and I was kind of happy it did that because I was able to borrow a login to HBO Max to watch it from my brother, of all people, and it turned out it was going to cost a ton of money to go to the theater and just be a massive inconvenience, Mm -hmm. so I'm kind of glad we didn't have to go, especially since the movie was kind of, huh, so I would have felt really bad about spending a lot of money on that
1: movie. I look forward to a superhero movie that is truly fresh ground. I had hopes that, you know, Shazam might've done that, but it didn't.
0: Yeah. There were some themes in Wonder Woman 1984 that I liked. Yeah. That would have been great for discussion that were beyond the normal, typical superhero stuff. But I think soul will give us plenty of fodder to discuss. And well, I will admit this is not my favorite movie, I think you probably liked it a little more than I did. I kind of had to force myself to watch it the second time. Mm. The music is kind of a a mixture because the score is by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, but then there's a lot of jazz compositions and arrangements sprinkled throughout the movie, which were done by John Baptiste. So you have this nice synthetic ethereal kind of... I don't know heavenly mm. quotes <laughs> music interspersed with a lot of jazz so it's an interesting score i'll play just a teensy bit of the the synthetic score part
1: a new age feel in there like uh crystal and astral travel which does appear in soul
0: <laughs> they definitely hit on that in soul now my opening thoughts to this movie is that it was like an animated version of mr holland's opus with a lot of universalist mystical stuff thrown in to boot but like the beginning of the movie more than anything was where i kind of got the feeling of mr holland's opus which i actually liked i thought that was a good movie it it talked a lot about how being a teacher is not always a calling but is is something that when you dedicate your life to you can have a great deal of impact on people's lives Mm -hmm. because in mr holland's opus he was a teacher by default because he needed to pay the bills and you kind of get the feeling for joe gardner in this movie that That's what teaching is to him as well. And it's the movie kind of starts out with him getting called out to be told that he's now a full time teacher and it was just not what he wanted to do. And so I I kind of got that same kind of vibe from it. It's like this is a man who wanted to pursue, you know, real music where he was performing. And in, in the case of Mr. Holland, he was a composer and not ever able to follow his dream because he was stuck in a classroom teaching and he had to pay the bills. He had to live in the real world.
1: Yeah. Practical considerations had to take priority over dreams type of storyline. So yeah, Yeah. that's a good comparison.
0: Yeah. So I really felt like this was an animated Mr. Holland's opus with, of course, the the leaning in towards African-American culture and jazz instead of the the more prep feel of Mr. Holland's Opus. Mm. Then, of course, they had to throw in this whole, when you die, what happens to you when you didn't get a chance to fulfill your dream. And then it was just kind of, it it kind of lost me. And part, part of that is what we're going to be discussing, because it is the major theme of the movie is... You know, this whole concept of where the soul goes and where the soul comes from. And all of this is so anti-Christian that it actually rubbed me the wrong way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I kind of almost feel like that if this movie had stayed with the whole concept of living your life in a mundane way instead of pursuing your dreams and how that impacts the people around you, it would have been more valuable in the same way that Mr. Holland's opus was valuable, where soul decides to, to make massive theological statements that are so completely wrong that it just, it, it becomes unpalatable for a Christian,
1: in my opinion. You know, the weird part for me was that keeping in mind that I, that I am not an expert on, on other religious philosophies in the world. I couldn't put my finger on any single source of religious philosophy, it it felt like they were just picking and choosing very small bits and throwing them all in a blender to see what comes out. (laughs) I don't know if it was an attempt to insult the least number of people or to really just create as generic a philosophy as possible to serve as the vehicle for the story. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like if it was the latter, I really feel like they threw that all out when they introduced Moonwind and his gang of New Age wackos and made them integral to the whole mechanics behind the storyline of Soul.
0: Yeah. Well, they, they lost me right at the people mover into the Great Beyond, so <laughs> I, did, I didn't even have to get that it's, far. You,
1: you hate people <laughs> movers that much? <laughs>
0: But the other thing that I found interesting about this is that, like Inside Out, it really seems – this it's a Pixar movie that really seems to deal with concepts that are not necessarily things that kids are thinking about or that kids would even want to sit down and be entertained by. Yeah, I mean, this one is the whole concept of life and death and pursuing your dreams, and that's kind of more of an adult kind of thing. So it makes me wonder whether Pixar, even though they're making kids' movies, are really – going after a, a more adult audience with their stories, because I don't see how a kid could even be interested in this movie.
1: I can. I can say for certainty that children like 9, 10, 12 years old, they think about this kind of thing, mm-hmm. and they do so frequently. Mm. But at the same time, <laughs> that's why it's so important that parents view this kind of movie with their kids so that they can talk about the harder stuff because the kids have mm-hmm. questions, and yeah. either they're going to go to their parents for the answers or they're going to go to uh, far less trusted sources. And, yeah. you know, if the kids go to the less trusted sources, it's not game over, but it's a what's it called a tally mark in the enemy column.
0: Yeah. Well, and the other thing is is that this is so beautifully visual that it's really hard to compete with something that's so beautifully visual. Yeah. Because most children especially are, are very visual. And so when we take them to Sunday school and, and they get Bible verses and – well, I hate to say flanograph because I don't think most churches do flanograph anymore, but mm. that's what I was raised on, you know, and it's not beautifully visual. And so there's not a lot – to really picture and understand about what Christ is and what God is, and we're just supposed to take it on faith. And then they go and watch a movie like this that presents a completely opposite storyline to what we're taught in the Bible. Yeah, And it's beautiful, and it's visual, and it's interesting. And, yeah, I I don't know. For me, this movie, I, if I had children, I'm not entirely sure I'd show it to them.
1: Mm. I definitely see where you're coming from. I did like soul, but at the same time, I agree with your take that it, it does not present sound philosophy. It doesn't even present sound philosophy, nor does it present sound theology by any stretch of the imagination. (laughs) Yeah. The reason I liked soul was because I like the man versus himself storylines. And when they're presented in Disney films, uh, Pixar films, I feel like they are more impactful. And that's actually one of the reasons that I really liked Inside Out. And I think Inside Out is still my favorite Pixar movie, hands down. And this Souls was like Inside Out in that regard, but it paid a lot less service to theological considerations and philosophical and psychological considerations than I think Inside Out did. Where Inside Out straight from what would have been sound theology. At least it was clear what they were trying to do, as far mm-hmm. as you know, speaking to different groups or different concerns. But in this, it it was just much more aimless, in my opinion. So you know, I feel like the the logic behind this story was was lacking but I still liked the presentation and and I liked the idea that it makes you think about more cerebral things. Hmm. You know, for me, I actually did not like the main character. Yeah. Joe.
0: He's almost like an anti-hero kind of thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, Yeah. yeah. I thought he was rude. I was particularly not distraught, but I didn't like the way he treated – 22, the soul that he was assigned to mentor. Not only did I not like the way he treated it, but I thought it was out of character for a middle school music teacher who must have at least some desire to teach. Otherwise, you know, teaching middle school music would be outlawed by the Geneva Convention. <laughs> and, you know, in the earlier scenes, where he explains about losing yourself in your music. And he has that one student who seems to get it. He really grasps onto that, but that attitude doesn't seem to carry through to his Mm -hmm. treatment of 22. He is completely self-centered and and self-focused and it graded on me. It really did.
0: Yeah. And that might actually impact why I didn't like the film either is that, Like I said, when I first started watching it, I thought Mr. Holland's opus animated. And then it went into, you know, the selfish guy who wants to pursue his dream, no matter who he runs over to get there and Mm -hmm. even defeating death in order to get there. And it's like the focus and and everything just made his character undesirable. And instead of redeeming like Mr. Holland in Mm -hmm. Mr. Holland's opus, his character was redeemed by the fact that he discovered a passion for teaching, even though it wasn't something he wanted to spend his time doing and He did connect with his students and he did turn into a good mentor for them that impacted generations until you know his retirement and That philosophy when I first started a movie i I thought that was where it was gonna go, and then it didn't go there, and instead it he turned into this selfish uh, person who was pursuing a dream at at the cost of everything else. And it was just like, you know what? I'm just not, I'm not there. So yeah, this is definitely not my favorite movie.
1: (laughs) And and, you know, Joe has a redemption arc in soul, but
0: Oh yeah, he does. The
1: redemption at the end is for the wrong things, Mm -hmm. which just baffles me. Yeah. Uh, it, it like they, they didn't see how, bad a person he was actually being. Just weird. It, it was weird, but visually it was a wonderful visual offering. <laughs> and it does yeah. make you think. There is no question about it. And if you have kids of the appropriate age and you want to sit down and discuss it, there is a lot of good springboard material here to talk about. But for little, little kids, I I, I think I would make like – Eight or nine, the cutoff for this, unless you have a a child who is capable of of thinking much more um, abstractly. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. I to be honest, if I had kids, they wouldn't be seeing this movie. Mm. So that's just where I sit. It doesn't. I to me, there is nothing redeeming about where they go with the story to make it worth watching, and. Because of the metaphysicalness, the universalist, the the mysticalness, all of that stuff is so integral to the points they're making that, like we'll discuss later, the ocean is lost for the water. Oh. So I really feel like that a movie like this, because it's Disney and it's Pixar and everybody just jumps on the bandwagon because, you know, they make such great movies, they fail to look at what kind of philosophy it's actually teaching And, you know, we're going to talk about that because it's the main theme of the movie and we're going to get kind of deep into it in a minute. But even if you counter it with a Christian discussion of what we really should be talking about, I think because of the visual nature of the movie, you've already lost your audience Mm, uh, before you even start a critical discussion.
1: Yeah, I disagree in as much as I think the primary theme that they're talking about here is a spark. And their conclusion, if you can wheedle it out of of all the, you know, the the weeds that they throw in there, their conclusion about what the spark is, is not antithetical to scripture per se, but there are a lot of weeds. I think it can present a growth opportunity. So I disagree a little, but not not the whole way. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So I'm saying something positive about the movie, because it makes it sound like I really hated it. I really was entertained by and enjoyed the part with Joe getting, Jill's soul getting put in a cat's body. And that was probably the best comic relief they could do, because you have this cat that's meowing at everybody, uh, trying to talk because it's got a human soul in it. And, And then it's distracted by a flash of light, you know, going across the the floor or a mm. patch of sunlight cat making it drowsy, And yeah, all the little cat-like things. So if you're a cat lover, there are parts of this movie that will entertain you because you like cats. And <laughs> that was kind of the one redeeming thing for me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> for me, it was the music. Yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed Baptiste piano bits. Mm-hmm. And even went so far as to, to pull up the the Soul uh, score and soundtrack on Spotify and and pull the Baptiste stuff out and make it my own playlist for it.
0: Mm.
1: I've always liked jazz, though I don't listen to it often. And when they first announced Soul, well, whatever it was, two years ago, I was excited by an offering coming out that, that would be jazz-centric. And while, yeah, this did have a lot of jazz in it, the, the music was more was almost not quite a MacGuffin, but it was almost immaterial. I mean, Joe could have been a NASCAR fan, Mm -hmm. and the story could have played out very similarly without much difficulty. The music was not as integral to the the movie as I had hoped it would be, but I wasn't disappointed with the music that was in there, definitely. I did enjoy that music.
0: And they would have lost that terrific double meaning of the word soul.
1: Yeah, oh, that's true. <laughs> oh, I don't know. It, it, well, you're you're actually a lot more of a NASCAR fan than I am, don't you think? NASCAR fans have soul.
0: <laughs> well, it's not a term that's used. It's for just NASCAR a NASCAR term. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, the first theme we want to talk about is uh, the concept of being fearfully and wonderfully made. One of the most interesting things about this movie is the the great before, which is probably the the biggest. Portion of the metaphysical that you see in the movie, and the the concept of where souls come from, and I do appreciate that this didn't like recycle souls, which there are some humanistic philosophies mm. that believe there's only so many souls and they just keep getting reincarnation recycled over, and over yeah. again. Reincarnation, yeah. This movie definitely represented that each each living person has a unique soul, which is a biblical philosophy, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> but the way they show the souls being uh, treated and being made ready to become people when they're born, I thought was kind of odd. Uh, the whole concept of the U Seminar and, you know, how they're like very randomly given personalities and, and then just tossed into the world to be born, it, it seemed very random to me. And I think – some of it, you know, kind of bugged me in the fact that they were treating them like they were physical beings, even though we know from scripture that the soul of humanity is what it makes us closest to God. It is, it is not our physical being. It is our right. spiritual being. And our souls are trapped inside a physical body, but they're not physical. And so the way that they were treating these souls as if they were physical before they're even born or even after they die too, because the jerry explains herself to joe by saying that i'm not something your feeble human brain can conceive of and that quote actually kind of threw me out of the maybe because i was seeing her going but he's not human anymore he's a soul mm-hmm. <laughs> he doesn't have a brain anymore he's a soul <laughs> And the only way that I can think that we can even come close to comprehending God is when we are merely our spiritual beings, our souls, because that's when we are closest to God and have a better understanding of the spiritual and the eternity and all of that. Where when we are physical, all we can think of is physical things, but when we are thrown out of our physical body and into a spiritual existence, then theoretically we are no longer held to the constraints of our physical bodies.
1: I don't think they were referring to gray matter when, you know, they said human brain, or at least Mm -hmm. you're right. They definitely shouldn't have been. They should have been thinking consciousness or that you can conceive of or something like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it threw me off by them referring to his feeble human brain. I'm like, well, he does. He's not got a feeble human brain. He's a soul. (sighs) You should be able to comprehend more as souls.
1: There are a lot of logical holes or not even holes. It's like the presentation of the Great Before that they provide is like if you took four different thousand-piece jigsaw puzzles and you put them all in one bag and you put them out and you tried to fit every puzzle piece together. That's sort of what they came out with with this Great Before idea. (laughs) And yeah. it's not that they just don't fit or they just don't go together, but they're still being presented that way, even though there's huge gaps between the pieces.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And I mean, there, there was just the whole concept of having to get your spark to want to live. I imagine there's a lot of souls that are born that don't ever have a spark. And it, it's kind of sad to say that, but, there's a lot of people who go through life with never finding that spark mm. or never having, and I'm not talking about purpose because that's kind of the whole point of the movie is that your spark is not your purpose. And a lot of that has nothing to do with the state of the soul. A lot of it has to do with nurture, not nature. And so there's three things here that they're equating all is the same because you have a soul, which they are giving unique and distinct personalities in the movie. And then mm-hmm. there's what you're born into. It's, it's your the genetics of the body that you are born into. And then there's also the family and the circumstances that you're born into. Mm -hmm. And all three of those play a part in who you become as a person. And the unfortunateness about this movie is they're not taking the the latter two into account at all. They're saying that it's all who your soul is. And I don't know. I just don't think that that's a good enough explanation for
1: people. I don't see how they discounted the latter two. I don't think they were in consideration in the the course of the presentation.
0: Well, it's like the soul that that came out and said, I'm a manipulative megalomaniac who's intensely opportunistic. All of those traits are at least the vast majority of those traits are things that are created by genetics and nurture, not by soul. Because we are all sinners. I mean, if you go back to the Christian concept of who we are in a spiritual sense, we are all sinners. So we all have that blackness to us. And when that blackness comes out into megalomaniac, you know, opportunistic manipulation, all that kind of stuff, that is usually nurtured. That kind of expression of who we are as sinners comes out through nurture and nature. And so, I feel like they're completely discounting the fact that once you send that soul to earth and it's born into a body that that body and that circumstance of its birth has a lot to do with who that person's going to be. Mm. And I think they they just pre- pretty much left that out of the movie.
1: Yeah. They had pavilions where they would send the the preborn souls through and yeah, they were sort of assigning it all like it wouldn't be changed once they got to their body but I guess the whole idea of finding your spark would not have made sense if they did not have that type of mechanic. But then but, the whole idea of preborn souls wouldn't have made sense. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, well, I mean, let's go to the biblical <laughs> – idea of where people come from because i think that's more valuable than anything this movie put forward and and that's why i keep stumbling with this because it's like none of it made sense to me it i spent that whole time going no no you guys have it all wrong come on Mm -hmm. (laughs) so in psalm 139 13 through 16 it says For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made, or as another version puts it, fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. And I think that is the probably the most important thing. It comes from uh, living a human life in walk step with God. Let's put it that way, is that God knew us and he formed mm-hmm. us and he brought us about to live our lives and all of our days, all of our hours, all of our minutes, all of our seconds were pre-known before we were even born. There was no uncertainty about it. There was no searching for a spark or anything like that. God has preordained us to be the people that we are, even to the point that we are sinners and that we will come to know him. And, and that is to me, a, such a prettier picture than some randomly oh, yeah. assigned personality. And I will say that this concept of being fearfully and wonderfully made, we are actually recording this up uh, episode during what is uh, in some walks uh, of Christian faith, uh, the Sanctity of Life Sunday. And it, it was interesting because I was in church this morning and we did a video of, you know, just showing all of the babies that God has formed and and gifted us here. And, and it was just an emphasis on the, I, the concept that every child should be wanted, if not by the family who gets it, but by mm-hmm. God, because he desired that child to be born. And just the emphasis, the pro-life emphasis that we should be having as Christians, that every child has a right to be born and and live a life. And I also wanted to mention also with the Fearfully and Wonderfully Made in mind that if you're anywhere around the Cincinnati area, the Creation Museum has just opened this last summer, a new exhibit called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, and it is exquisite. I've been in to see it. They've got exquisitely made models of the uh, development of a baby. It is so superb. And if you are in mm-hmm. the area, you sh- really should go see it. It is an amazing exhibit all about how fearfully and wonderfully made we are. And uh, from the moment of conception on.
1: The scripture I was thinking of was Ephesians 1, four: for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless and love before him. And yeah. you know, th- To me, that speaks to the timeless nature of God's planning and omniscience in our eventual service to Him, Mm -hmm. whether we wanted to or not. (laughs) The people who are unsaved are just as much in His will as uh, Mm -hmm. those of us who are. Yeah, And God knows before... The foundation of the world, who would and would not accept him as his savior, and I don't know. So there's this there's bit and soul where they say soul number one hundred and eight billion two hundred and ten one hundred and twenty one two hundred and ten million one hundred and twenty one thousand four hundred and uh, fifteen, but the soul. So you know they've had 108 billion plus souls that they've done, which uh, speaks to the the concept that they're not reusing souls a la reincarnation. But the mm-hmm. the main character soul number 22, only called 22 in the movie, is uh, suggests that it is the 22nd soul that was created birthed, I don't know, in the great beyond, or the great before, rather.
0: They don't really explain where the souls come from, do they? they they, just kind of like, they're
1: just there. (laughs) But they present it all as this huge layer of uncertainty, but it isn't. It isn't uncertain. Mm -hmm. It's all determined long before time started going tick tock.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and and, you know, the interesting thing about that, and it just kind of to lean back into our pro-life argument is are these souls that are actually going to be born? They've never explained, you know, is the soul going into the child at conception, at birth, or at a certain uh, age? Because, I mean, that comes on on a whole different level because with the level of abortion, I mean, how many babies have we aborted just in the United States in the last, you know, since Roe v. Wade? Yeah. I mean, it's it's a sobering number. Those are, if they were in at conception, then those are all souls that, You know, came to earth and then get a chance to live. And then there's some people who believe you don't get a soul till you breathe air. And, you know, it's like, because, you know, the breath of life is referred to in scripture. I mean, there's so many twisted ways of looking at that.
1: Not to get too dark, but they must not go to babies who were aborted. Otherwise, we would have seen more of those souls on the people mover.
0: Right. Little babies.
1: Yeah. Little baby souls. A lot of them. (laughs) Yeah. Because that's how many kids are aborted every day.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's, that is sobering and something they obviously didn't take into account when they made the movie because, you know, the humanists don't care about abortion. So <laughs> why would they even figure that into their calculations? Yeah. And then there are, you know, children that die of natural means, you know, right after birth or right before birth. You know, there's miscarriages. There's, it's not even just abortion. The amount of death that occurs just getting to childbirth is, is pretty high. And then, ones that never make it to adults. They didn't really show a lot of children on the the people mover either. So
1: yeah. yeah the- they almost like made it like a build-a-bear factory. Doesn't matter what happens <laughs> to the bear once it leaves the, the store front door. <laughs> yeah. The way that they were assigning the uh the personality quirks and and uh and everything like that and uh, the hall of everything finding the the spark in the hall of the mentor uh, where, you know, the mentor is trying to to help the soul find its spark. Um, that put me in mind of First uh, Samuel 16, 7, uh, where it says, but the Lord said to Samuel, uh, do not look at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees what's in the heart and that that sort of made me think of uh uh you know the those patches in soul were were sort of like what the lord sees type thing if that makes sense the physical nature of the soul is never discussed aside from to imply that not even the gender of the souls is set yeah at 1.22 says shows that uh She can talk like this, or she can talk like this, or, you know.
0: And that she chose the voice that she chose because she wanted to irritate, because she found out it irritated people, so. The most annoying, (laughs) She went for the irritation. Yeah, she went for the most annoying.
1: Which I I suspect that was a little self-deprecating humor on Tina Fey's part. (laughs) It almost sounded like it might have been ad-libbed, but I don't know.
0: Yeah. It's interesting that you bring up this concept of you know that there not being any gender because if you go with the the transgender movement that's going on right now you know they say that you're born into the wrong body that you're a, a female gender born into a male body or a male gender born into a female body and and or that's why you're born not comfortable body
1: where you don't want a gender at all
0: yeah and and so this concept of the soul being genderless I. I feel like from scripture that being genderless as a soul it makes more sense because Jesus himself said, you know that in the kingdom there'll be neither giving of in marriage or you know the male and female will not be married or anything like that. So I mm-hmm. really feel like that gender is is really an expression of of your physical being, not necessarily your spiritual being. And and that's why God sees all of us as equal, male, female, or regardless of nationality or ethnicity or anything like that. He sees us all as, as equal because our souls are equal, and he sees us as spiritual beings and not as our physical bodies.
1: I, I don't know. The idea of marriage and the the union of man and wife play so heavily into the lesson that Christ tries to teach about his church and the Messiah, and it speaks to... Uh, what God has put together, let no man tear apart.
0: That's all the physical, though. That's not the spiritual, because he was even asked a question about that. Okay, this is Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine through... Uh, Thirty-two. He says, Jesus answered them, You are mistaken because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now concerning the resurrection of the dead, haven't you read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Mm. To me, that kind of showcases, not saying that we don't have gender in heaven, but it's not. As important it is as it is in physical bodies, I do agree with you that the the picture of marriage is extremely important to the the lesson of the church and you know Christ is the groom and church and the church is the bride and all of that. But I do think that that is a physical understanding. I don't necessarily think that that is actually applicable to people in the afterlife because the entire church is the bride of Christ. So in that instance, we are all feminine in the eternity. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I'm willing to be proven wrong on that. So if somebody with greater knowledge than I <laughs> wants to come yeah, forward it, and, and debate that topic, I'll, I'll be more than willing to back we're down. We're hardly but the
1: it, first people to question this. Yeah. It's
0: yeah. My,
1: my grandfather and I had, uh, actually had this exact discussion, I want to say, 20 years ago, after my grandmother died. Mm. And, uh, you know, it was weighing heavily on his heart. But it's I think the, the one thing that we came away from that discussion was an absolute certainty that we would be not only content with what God had in mind for eternity for us, but uh, joyful with it. Because Mm -hmm. the greatest parts of marriage, of love, of friendship, you know, the palest of comparisons to what we are going to experience between us and God in eternity and between us and other believers. Yeah. So we basically came away with the faith that God's got us covered regardless of how it works.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, we need to move on because we've got a, the biggest topic yet to cover. Yeah, the
1: main topic of the movie. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So, I actually entitled this topic using a a verse from from scripture because this is kind of what I felt like uh, it, it fits best into scripture, and of course, it visits my my one of my favorite books of the Bible, which you tend to. <laughs> Not agree with me on but um, a time to give birth and a time to die, which comes out of ecclesiastes three uh, there is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die Ecclesiastes three one through two a i didn't do the whole verse. The reason why you know this whole movie made me think about that is because the whole concept of soul is that he has. This one dream that he is pursuing above everything. And he wants to play his music professionally in a band. He wants to be a jazz performer, not a band teacher. And yeah. if you look at him as, you know, a realistic person, okay, he is a middle aged man who is still pretty much answering to his mother. He's not necessarily yeah. living in his mom's <laughs> basement, but he does have his own apartment, thankfully. But
1: yeah, his mom doesn't have a basement. She has an apartment. It's New York.
0: It, yeah. <laughs> so, and he's basically making enough money to pay his rent and while he pursues his dream. And one of the things that really struck home with me was this concept of not living until you find your dream. That's when you're going to start living. Mm-hmm. It, there's actually several phrases to that matter throughout this movie where, you know, he says, now I found my dream. Now you're go- you're a brand new Joe Gardner and whatever. Yeah. And yeah. I think as human beings, I'm not even going to say as Christians, because it's not just true of Christians. It's true of all of us, not just Christians, but the unsaved as well. We tend to set like these goals to life that if we don't achieve them, then we haven't started living uh, for a lot of women, especially girls in in high school and college, it's getting married. It's that, that meeting the right man. Mm-hmm. And they haven't started living until they've met the right man and had the correct relationship with him. And I've seen that a lot because I'm in my 40s now and I'm still single. And I had to learn a long time ago that I can't wait till I'm married to start living because <laughs> otherwise <laughs> I wouldn't be living yet. But everybody has that thing, you know, and... In this movie, that's what's called the spark. That, that, well, what Joe Gardner thinks is called the spark. That mm-hmm. one thing that you're going to pursue that's your thing, that is going to be the defining of you. And if you don't achieve it, then you haven't started living yet. And this is the main theme of the movie. So, how does that work from this metaphysical, uh, universalist way of looking at? Yeah. The afterlife.
1: Yeah, and and, you know, it's uh, in the movie, there is the sea of lost souls, which I feel was Mm -hmm. actually that concept is from another literary work. Mm. But the lost souls are souls who have started obsessing over one thing or the other. Instead of being motivated by it, they're obsessed by it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we can talk about idolatry uh, you know from now until the cows come home and Mm -hmm. every single verse would apply. But we have discussed idolatry a lot. So (laughs) we should probably pass it this time. Yeah. I think Joe borders on obsession with his, with his desire to get this, this gig from his actions, you know, everything from um, when he first gets a call from Curly, he runs the appointment completely uh ignoring all common sense rules of safety
0: <laughs> yeah
1: and then you know when he gets his call back uh he does well in the in the uh the audition he gets his call back and and he narrowly avoids death seven times mm-hmm. before he falls into a manhole an open manhole if that is an obsession, I I don't know what is the focus on a a single thing or event to the exclusion of all other inputs, and that's that's mm-hmm. what he was. So I feel like they sort of missed the mark there.
0: That he was he was one of the lost souls, and that could very well be because he was living you know just the, his mundane existence until he got the call for that, and then he goes and he gets in the zone while he's playing. For his audition, mm-hmm. and so in in the movie, they're contrasting, you know, the lost soul versus the zone, which is where you've, I guess, reached a meditative state of joy and a surrounding a. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not exactly sort of like sure that, how you that explain that
1: mindfulness them. of nothing but.
0: Yeah, the, nothing but what, what you're in. <laughs> yeah, and if you're obsessing over something without a, a connecting with the joy of being in that. Uh, then then it, you become a lost soul. So they're very similar. Just one is lost and the other one is, I guess. Enlightened, it might be the the way. Yeah, referring to it. yeah Question I don't mark. know. Question mark. <laughs> now, as an artist, I can tell you I have been in the zone, not necessarily in the way they've shown it here in the movie, but. I do understand the concept of kind of can just let the rest of the world go away and just kind of be in that moment and enjoying it. And so I can attest that there is such a thing as the zone. (laughs) And I would say that probably all of us at some point in our life have, have experienced the obsession of a lost soul at some point, just, you know, getting lost in the mundanity of life and, and just, you know, the humdrum of getting up and going to work and, doing your stuff and then coming home and that particularly happens if you're in a job
1: that you don't like. Yeah.
0: So I think that that those two concepts in the movie are easily easy to mm-hmm. connect with to understand. Yeah, and at least if you're an artist. You're, and you know,
1: if you don't think too much about it, the whole main concept of the movie, the idea of the spark you know, that's mm-hmm. easy enough to connect with, too, as long as, like I said, you don't think too much about it. <laughs> but the whole point of the movie is that they want you to think about it. Yeah. And uh, throughout the entire movie, Joe thinks about it all the wrong way.
0: Yeah. The gentleman that is that takes care of his rooting of his hair, uh, the barber, he's- presents him as being, you know, this guy was born to be a barber. This is his thing. This is his spark. And then when they get to talking to him, you find out that he wanted to be a veterinarian and because of circumstances he had to, you know, the barber school was cheaper and uh, but it's something he enjoys doing. I mean, it was a it was a change of direction in his life, but it wasn't what he intended to do with his life and and we've all right. been there. I've been there. I you know where you started out thinking you were going to do this and then you went and did this instead and it turned out that that was what you probably should have been doing all along and to me that's god mm-hmm. because it's not a redirection of your spark it's it's god's plans for you and sometimes we have plans for ourselves that god doesn't have for us and he's like wait no 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 that's not where you're supposed to be going i want you yeah. over here <laughs> and he has a perfect plan and of course that's left out of this movie because the whole concept of a greater being who has a plan for your life is not part of this whole concept
1: at all. I feel like the whole purpose behind the Des the barber discussion was to show that Des's spark in this case was not to be a barber or to be a veterinarian, but to help people. The problem with that mm-hmm. is, is that doesn't really seem to address in my mind the whole mechanic that they established for the mentors to help the souls find their spark. I mean, they presented two places where they could go to help them find the the spark, the the hall of the mentor, in which the mentor is supposed to be showing them all the important things that they did in their lives, or the hall of everything, where I think Mm -hmm. the quote was literally anything in the world can be their spark. But I don't see how helping people would Be either one where you would find it in either one.
0: Well, that's the thing is, is that when the the final explanation as to why 22 got her spark Mm -hmm. was that it wasn't a purpose. It was just the desire to live. Yeah, exactly. So. It's not necessarily what you're going to do with yourself or what you're going to be or what your gift is going to be, what your purpose is good. None of that. It's not. And, and that's what Jerry says. Oh, you mentors and your passions, your purposes, your meanings of life. So basic and walks away. They don't ever actually explain it. It's, it's actually Joe who puts it into words at the end of the movie, but there is this idea that the soul has to want to live and 22 didn't want to live she had this very bad view of what life meant. And so it wasn't about finding a purpose. It was about finding a desire to live. And by walking Mm -hmm. a day in Joe's shoes, she found some of the joys of living and she experienced some of those and then goes, Oh, I do want to live. It wasn't that she found her spark in a purpose. It was that she found her spark in that life was worth living. And that was why I think I said earlier on is that there are a lot of people who go through life without ever finding that spark because, some people never think life is worth living. I've met a few of them in my lifetime. And sometimes that's actually the excuse that is given for abortion. It's like, you know, these kids will be raised in bad homes, and they might get neglected or abused or whatever, and their lives won't be worth living. So let's just remove them from life before they ever have a chance to experience any of that. It's a horrible excuse. I'm not making that excuse, by the way. Yeah, I don't want anybody to take me out of context. That's a, typically, you know, a, a very... Sour way of looking at life, you know that if you have a disability or if you have bad circumstances when you were raised or you were in an abusive family or you know all of those situations, uh, you suddenly don't have a reason to live, and that's not true because as as humans, we have the purpose of God in our lives, and it doesn't matter what our circumstances are, where we came from, or what's happened to us. All of those things can be used for the glory of God, and that's where. I guess the redemption is in being a Christian, is that we are refocused away from this humanistic view of of where our purpose comes in living, mm-hmm. and we can focus it back on a spiritual one.
1: Yeah, it actually kept going back to, and I think I I probably mentioned this before. Question one of the the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is what is the chief end of mm-hmm. man? You know, they met together, and the first question that they ask is, "Why am I here?" <laughs> Yeah. And the, the answer they came up with, based on scripture, was that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. hmm And that really is
0: – That comes from Ecclesiastes, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's – okay, the book does have some merit. I'll admit. Ecclesiastes and James. Okay in my perception, that's sort of finding the spark is, is what it's like to become a Christian. You start to get your first glimpse of this chief end. Mm -hmm. And that first glimpse is just so much better. So much beyond what you consider anytime before that, it's like night and day. And that's where I think the spark is it definitely doesn't happen pre-birth. Or I don't know what happens pre-birth, but it definitely is not finding a spark. But the spark that we need to find is is salvation.
0: Right. Of course, one of my other favorite passages of Scripture is the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in Matthew 6, 30 through 34, it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. This is in the context of anxiety and worry. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And really, that's what Joe's constantly anxious and worried about, not, you know, achieving what he wants to achieve, you know. And the best thing we can do is seek first God's kingdom, and and he'll give us the things that will satisfy our soul. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, literally satisfy our soul, <laughs> So, you don't need to be worried about those things. If you seek God, he's going to fulfill you in doing his service, and you don't have to worry about whether you're attaining the goals that you have set for yourself, because God has his own goals for your life, and you should be more concerned about reaching those than following yeah. what your your expectations for your life are going to be. And then uh, Ecclesiastes 3, 9-13 through 13 says, What does the worker gain from his struggles? I have seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He's also put eternity in their hearts. I've referred to that verse before. But no mm-hmm. one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It is also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all his efforts. So... That's kind of like this this whole idea of living in contentment with the things that you have and enjoying. It's actually one of the last things in the movie is, you know, J- they give, give Joe a chance to go back and have a second chance at life. And they ask him what he's going to do with it. And he said, you know, I'm going to, I know one thing, I'm going to live every minute of it. So he's going to enjoy every minute of it. And that's what Ecclesiastes is telling us there. It's like, it's a gift of God to enjoy our efforts in in living. Mm-hmm. And then there's the concept in here about, and it's the story of the, the two fishes that kind of have to set the stage for this one, because at the end of their jam session you know their their first performance together as a as a band dorothea and joe are standing out on the street and he's like i just you know i thought it was going to be more you know i've been waiting for this day my entire life and it just i thought i'd feel different what's next yeah and dorothea tells the story about these two fish you know that the younger fish comes to the older fish and says you know I'm, i'm looking for this ocean and the older fish says, you're in the ocean. And the younger fish says, this, this is water. What I want is the ocean. And I kind of thought that that was an interesting story and in that it, you know, you miss living because you're looking for, you know, the life, you know, the thing that that will make your living worth living, then you, you miss living because you're so focused yeah. on what, what you think it's going to be. And so... In Proverbs it says commit your activities to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has prepared everything for his purpose, even wicked for the day of disaster. And Proverbs 16:3 through 4 is the reference for that. You know, I I got to think of it as like when when we're planning our lives out, we typically we have an idea of what we're going to do with our life. I I did myself. I mean, every College kids goes through this, you know, you graduate from high school and you pick your career and then you go to college and you realize, oh, wait a minute, that's not what I want to do. So then you change your major, you know, about halfway through. And I think pretty much everybody's been there. There might be some really focused high schoolers that go into college and stick with their major, but most of them change it. You, You change your major because then you realize you don't want to do that. And then you graduate. And you end up doing something completely different than what you have your education
1: in. Yeah, it, it's not even a little bit like what you pictured.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and I think that we all hit that, or most, I, w- I shouldn't say we all, because in general, I say most people do, but there's probably some really focused people who end up doing what they intend to do their whole lives. But God has a plan for us, and, and we have to let go, You know, loosen our hold on on our plans and and let him give us direction you know commit what we're doing to him and let him guide us and it's freeing i mean it it lets it lets you let go of that obsession that they talk about like the the lost soul that the mystic travelers or whatever they are rescue who's stuck on this trading and when he they wake him up and and he goes (laughs) i'm free i'm free you know and that's what giving it to God it does that's it releases you from the concern and the worry about am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing am I achieving my goals am I you know this whole type a personality of of being driven towards something all the time and it is uh definitely a, a relaxing of
1: all of that yeah the idea of the fish in the ocean reminds me of can't see the forest for the trees type thing Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it it really is a lot more about you've had it all along right in front Mm -hmm. of you. Not only is it right in front of you, you have depended upon it. You would have died without it, but uh, you don't acknowledge it. And that's that's the way that God is. Mm -hmm. We exist. Because God enables us to exist. Because it's his will and his plan that that we are doing what we're doing.
0: Right. And I think it's interesting, you know, that you, you made the uh, comment about how he missed all of these opportunities to die because he's not paying attention. And at the same time, when I saw that, I was thinking, you know, that's kind of the way we are as Christians is, you know, God has appointed a, t- a time for us to die. And until we reach that point, we're immortal. So this whole idea of, you know, how many of those careless things do we go through in a day and not realize how close we inched by death because it wasn't our time yet. And God has ordained a time for us and we're not going to be called home until we have reached that time. And the whole concept of cheating death, which is what Joe does in this movie twice, he mm-hmm. cheats death twice. We can't cheat death. I mean, God is already ordained when we're going to die. So there's yeah. there's no like this, you know, turning back on it, going, I'm not ready to die.
1: <laughs> I
0: haven't achieved my dream yet.
1: Do you remember the show Touched by an Angel?
0: Mm-hmm. Roma yes, Downey.
1: Do. Uh, mm-hmm. There was an angel of death in there, which was, you know, refreshing because it, it put a different spin on death. Yes, it did. You always see death as a... Uh, the Dark cloak, skeletal figure with the carrying the scythe, but uh, in this
0: movie, he's an accountant,
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Terry the accountant is death. It, the way Joe resists the death here, it was in stark contrast to the three people the first three people that he ran into in the, on that people mover. All mm-hmm. three of them were like, One of them said, I've been waiting for this a long time, I was 108, mm-hmm. and the other one appeared to be uh. Native american um, Intuit or or Eskimo she says something along the lines of the sure beats my Dream about the walrus, <laughs> but they they all are accepting of it, mm-hmm. which I think is the way we should be when the time comes, even though you know I don't know how i'm gonna uh if I have to face it from afar you know like mm-hmm. a a terminal diagnosis or something. I don't know that I would be as, as, uh, as brave as I make it sound now, but that too is part of God's plan. And, and the idea that there's a, a death going around collecting souls, a la Piers, uh, Anthony just isn't biblical. (laughs) Um, death is a part of God's will, just like everything else. Yeah. We have our, our time on this earth, to to serve him and you do not know when that time is going to end and uh, for many it it ends much much sooner than people think is fair
0: yeah you know i was really kind of surprised that in their people mover that joe was the only one who was running away from the great beyond yeah. it's like i would think that there are a lot more people who die every day who aren't ready to be dead and the other really strange thing about that is that they even tell you that his body isn't dead yet. I mean, he wouldn't have been yep. able to jump back into it if it wasn't it. – and so there's, there seem to be implying that, you know, the soul is freed from the body even before the body is dead. And yeah, so, yeah, there was some really weird stuff going on in, in that whole concept.
1: That was one of the mechanics of the, the movie that I thought was broken was, you know, they mm-hmm. were implying heavily that all of this was taking – place in between time outside of time but yeah. uh, you know 22 referenced days and weeks and years and and mm-hmm. centuries the, <laughs> the the idea that you know so 108 billion is being taken care of now and 22 still hasn't found its spark that speaks to yeah. time and the fact that when they go back to joe's body he's in a hospital bed not at the bottom of a manhole means that time has passed right. on earth too. So yeah. that was all sort of a broken part of the whole underlying mechanics of the movie for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there there definitely was a a parallel time going on between the the physical world and the metaphysical beyond before or
1: I do wonder does that mean that Abraham Lincoln and Mother Teresa and all those mentors that 22 had before does that mean that they weren't dead <laughs> when they were mentoring 22 Joe was not was supposed to be a
0: mentor remember he's uh, up that position Yeah it was Plus the be... fact it sounds like that they were bringing people from the great beyond into the great before in order to mentor so it wasn't like they were interrupting the souls on the way oh, to the I great hadn't beyond Oh
1: I had caught that Okay
0: Yeah I'm not exactly sure you know, where they were going with this whole mentoring souls thing. But I thought that was probably the part that made the least amount of sense, though there was a lot of this movie that didn't <laughs> make sense.
1: They did a lot to to make the story try to work, but yeah. it left holes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. I. I kind of just fall back on the fact that, you know, there was a lot here to discuss, but it will not go down as one of my favorite movies. No. And if you, if you want to, there, there's a lot of things in this movie that we didn't touch on, and we are not going to do a second episode on it. So this is it. You've just got our discussion. Mm. But. We have a community group on Facebook, and you can get there by going to com slash community, or just looking for Are You Just Watching on Facebook, and come join us. And maybe we can discuss some of the other things in this movie that we didn't get to in this podcast, because there are quite a few more things that were on our list of potential themes. We just ran out of time. Have you got any parting thoughts,
1: Tim? You know what? I do. Soul really is a symptom of the ongoing direction that we see from not just from Disney, although it's most obvious from Disney because they pretty much own everything now. (laughs) But it is a symptom of this desire to have everybody be all accepting of everything else and to completely set aside any discernment. And I would just encourage Mm -hmm. people to continue to discern in accordance with the word of God
0: mm-hmm that's important that's that's what we are here for that is the whole purpose of what we do as podcasters and as Christians to you know rightly divine the Word of God and to apply it to our entertainment and sometimes it's like I suggested at the beginning of this episode sometimes that means not watching the stuff sometimes it means withholding it from your family though I will tell you that if you, refuse to let your children watch something that they've heard about a lot of times they're going to find a way to watch it without you there so if it's something that is brought up they're going to go to a friend's house and watch it or they're going to come upon it in some other medium somewhere else so withholding things from your children without a good explanation as to why will just make it more desirable for them. So if you are going to withhold secular media from your kids, you better have a good way to address that with them from a a Christian and philosophical standpoint, because they're going to do it anyway when they're not around you. So be prepared for those discussions. Be consistent in your walk with the Lord. Read your Bible. Apply it to what you're watching and what you entertain your family
1: with. (laughs) No small feat.
0: I do want to bring up that we have a new patron, and he is a new $10 a month patron. Now, when you uh, join us on Patreon and give $10 a month or more, we call out in uh, the first episode that you support a charity of your choice. And our new patron is Isaiah Santiano, and he is wanting us to call out the and then there were none ministry, which is mm-hmm. if anybody watched the movie unplanned, which was what was, I think it was 2019. So yeah, I think it was right. a couple of years ago. That's the true story about Abby Johnson and her um, being, you know, working in Planned Parenthood and, and getting her eyes opened up to what it, the abortion industry is about. And she created this ministry called and then there were none to try and help people who work in uh, abortion industry to get out Uh, because it is really hard to get out of it once you're kind of stuck in that. And so if you would like to know more about that charity and support them, you can go to abortionworker.com, or if you need the help of that organization, you can go to abortionworker.com and get some help getting out of the abortion industry. So thank you, Isaiah, for joining us and and for presenting this very worthwhile cause. Uh, Both Both Tim and I are very strong pro-life, so that's an important cause to us as well. So thank you very, very, very much. Of course, if you want to be a patron, you can join Isaias and Craig Hardy and Stephen Brown the second and David Lefton and Peter Chapman, who are all our supporters and we thank them so much on patreon and you can go to patreon.com slash are you just watching to support us once again, if you are interested in supporting us in a different way, just let me know. there is some concern this year as things probably tighten from a technical and a big tech. Idea with uh, Christians that there might be some deplatforming going on, but we do. Uh, I think that are you just watching is probably innocuous enough to slip under <laughs> the radar for a while. We do touch on political concepts uh, every once in a while, but we don't uh, harp on them to a great extent. So I think we should hopefully be safe for a while. But you can share your feedback by going to the show notes for this episode, which will be at Watching dot com slash one twelve one uh, one two. You can also Call us at 513-818-2959. Leave a voicemail. You can also text that number. You can email feedback at com, Or you, like I said, you can join our discussion group. I don't know whether I am going to stay on Twitter, but right now you can find me on Twitter at E. Franklin.
1: And I'm on Twitter, though I almost never tweet, at Rincheple, <laughs> Rencheple, R-E-N-C-H-E-P-L-E.
0: And if there are other social media platforms you would like to find us on, please let us know and we will explore whether or not we can add those to the list. And you can find and find us on pretty much any of the places that you get a podcast. And we would highly encourage you to subscribe so that you get our regular feed. We try to get one episode up a month. I know it's a, some people do them daily and weekly. Um, Tim and I kind of can barely squeak one episode in. a month so we're doing all we can Mm. do to get one good good deep episode in a month and we'd be open to more content so if there's some of our listeners out there who would like to uh, record something on something they've watched tv show or a movie and submit it we would be happy to put that in the feed as well so stay in touch with us subscribe rate and review us and Just let us know you're listening. We appreciate the feedback that we get from our listeners. It really helps us in producing this show. Thank you so much for listening. I am E. Franklin.
1: I am Tim Martin.
0: And don't just watch. The Christian Podcast Community is a cohesive group of like-minded Christian podcasters proclaiming the truths of Christ with expertise and passion in the areas of theology, church history, Christian living, evangelism, apologetics, parenting, homeschooling, sermons, and much, much more. So check us out at ChristianPodcastCommunity.org, one stop for all your favorite Christian podcasts. ChristianPodcastCommunity.org.